Hi, this is Gary LaPlante from Moto Ventures, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show. A candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Greetings, riders, to the Sound Rider Show. This is episode number 1603, which just happens to coincide with March of 2016. I like it when things line up like that. I don't know about you, Tom, but what do you think about declaring March the opening of riding season officially? Well, I always like to think of riding season being all year, but if you must. Year-round, certainly. But I think in March we might start to see some of those 60-degree sunny days, which will let us get out and ride a little bit more. Yep. And, uh, and, and to celebrate that, we've got some really great interviews today with uh, Rich O'Connor from Rich's Custom Seats. That's right. And we've got an interview that we did with uh, Mark and Dana from Volunteen Motorworks. That's right as well. So uh, I'd say what, three of probably the nicest guys in the motorcycling industry here in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. Present company excluded, of course. Well, then that'd be four. Right. <laughs> All right, so um, we'll uh, we'll get into the news bites in the calendar in a moment here, but uh, I guess first off, we we've seen something crazy go uh, as out as a bill. Yeah, we've actually got some really exciting stuff here happening in Olympia, Washington, and I'm just going to take this from uh, local King Five here and just give a quick uh, rundown of exactly what people can expect from this bill. So wait, 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 let's 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 first point out that uh, Senator Sheldon has proposed a bill that would allow motorcyclists to use the left shoulder of the freeways, or I guess it's roadways, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Multi-lane roadways use the left shoulder during high traffic periods that would be 25 mile or slower. That's absolutely right. So just to kind of clarify a little bit, it's just motorcycle riders would get preferential treatment on some highways during traffic jams under a bill that has the support of the state Senate, which was Senator Sheldon. And the bill would give motorcyclists permission to drive on the far left shoulders of divided highways. Would they drive or would they ride? Well, according to this, it says drive, but I think we got into that a little bit earlier off the air. But you're right. Permission to ride on the far left shoulders of divided highways when traffic is moving under 25 miles an hour. And uh, it's really about relieving congestion, said uh, Senator Tim Sheldon uh, from Mason County here. And um, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, the Washington well, State Patrol is yeah, not for say, it. I was going to say, is there but, a Washington State Patrol comment there? Uh, there is. So the Washington State Patrol last year testified against the lane splitting bill that we talked about just about the same time last year. And uh, Sergeant Paul Cagle says, I think there's too much risk. Uh, we're going to see fatalities go up. Um, so obviously it doesn't sound like it has the support of the state police, but what do you think as a writer? Is that something you might be interested in? I think that I would like to stay out of that left shoulder. Sure. Uh, there's an awful lot of debris over there. You'd really have to amp up the uh, cleaning frequencies out there. Uh, of course, I know all our dual sport friends would say, hey, it's no big deal. We can we can ride over old spark plugs right. and nuts and bolts and sure. whatever they throw Dismembered out there. tires and we've, that kind of thing. We've got big hide nows and we can right. go anywhere. Well, I think that's definitely a concern. But when we're talking about under 25 miles an hour, that does give you some time for vision. I, for one, 
you know, I'm always for anything that's going to open it up for motorcyclists. And I think at these speeds, certainly the debris in the left lane is going to be something to be concerned about. But traffic is a nightmare here. And when you're sitting on your motorcycle and you know that you can, I mean, you can literally cut your time. We're talking about, I mean, you can go from 50 minutes down to 10 minutes if you were able to do this in some situations. I think it's got my support. I think that uh, we'd see a real issue with road road rage over the first few years because uh, you're going to have to educate the driving public that it may be possible that a motorcycle may come up that left shoulder and uh, you're not the police and you don't pull out and tell the guy he can't do that or or cause an accident by pulling into that lane to try to block him. Well, there would definitely be a lot of horn honking and bird waving, I think, to motorcyclists, which isn't necessarily out of the order uh, out of the order for some riders anywhere, I guess. But I don't know. I, I, I like it. I mean, the traffic is, it's a nightmare here. You definitely would have to, you should always ride smart, but in that uh, far left lane, there's a lot of debris. But it'll be interesting to think, what's your take on feasibility as far as getting this passed? Do you think it's going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we've seen the lane sharing bill uh, that's come and gone like the last five years in a row now. Right. And, uh, I, you know, eventually I think they will get to passing that through. Uh, just because we see other states use it already, like California, and uh, there is now some uh, some studies have been done that show that it actually doesn't increase the number of fatalities. That's right. But uh, you know, as far as using the left shoulder, I I wouldn't be opposed to saying it's available if you you know if you want to do it as an option. I personally probably wouldn't use it. Yeah, sure. Well, and of course you would reserve that option. I just I would like to see it open up. I mean, like I said, the traffic here, you know, it's such a nightmare. Anything that I can uh, get home a little bit faster and make use of that space. I mean, we take up so much less space on the roadway. Um, I'd probably hop in there and use it myself. I think. And getting a flat tire in the left lane is a real problem. Yeah, there's nowhere to go then, right? I've done it myself. Sure. And I had to. Uh, the state patrol came out and talked to me and said, "I'm gonna." I'm going to go back words and I'm going to come down the freeway and I'm going to be weaving back and forth. And when you see me weave, that's when you push your motorcycle across the freeway. And this was out on, on I-405 in Bellevue one day. Yeah. So that's what he did. He went back down, came back on the freeway a few miles behind me. I saw him weaving, so he was stopping, basically slowing As a traffic police down escort. the yeah. And I was pushing my motorcycle across I-405 uh, because there was no way when I got the flat, there was no way I could cross all the lanes with the flat tire because the bike was in such a wobble. No way, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, and when you, if you're going to ride around in the shoulder, you're really setting yourself up for getting a flat. More so than if you're driving in regular lanes. Yep, it would be a different animal, certainly. There, you know, it's. I don't think it's anything is as cut and dry as uh, you know a couple of sentences from a news blur. But we'll see. It probably won't get passed, but it's just nice to know that it's out there. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll be doing the news bites. Hi, Al Brooks here uh, from Surrey, BC. Um, lovely day here in British Columbia. Not to tell all the people that live elsewhere about that, but. Uh, one of my favorite riding places is Central Oregon, John Day area. I go there usually once a year, twice a year, and ride all around the roads there. Lots of curvy roads for uh, road road guys and lots of gravel roads for adventure touring guys. And beautiful scenery. Hi, this is Scoshi from Avon Motorcycle Tires. You're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Mm-hmm. 
back in the Crow's Nest studio on the Sound Writer Show on this March episode, and we're talking news bites in this segment. Lots of interesting things happening here, as always, in the Pacific Northwest and the greater western region today, including, uh, it sounds like, the end of Motorcycle USA. Tom, what is going on with Motorcycle USA? So what we got a, a press release the other day that said that they would be shutting down their online service, which was odd to me because... Like the day before that, I got a link for a PDF version of what appeared to be a magazine. Right. And uh, it was all laid out and everything. It was very nice. But uh, they're shutting down at least the whole online portion. They've got offices in Irvine and Medford, Oregon. And uh, they, I know, you know, they just did coverage on the one motorcycle show, the whole shot. Sure. But it uh, looks like they're going to sort of be going away. So a little unexpected, it sounds like. But hey, you know, I guess uh, as in most things in life, the cream rises to the top as far as motorcycle publications are concerned, and Sound Rider remains. Oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's going on. Let's see. Also, uh, we got a, a meeting coming up in Seattle. With um, it, Within the Department of Licensing, there is the Motorcycle Division, and within that division, there is a board uh, made up of riders, not necessarily – I think one or two employees of the DOL and then some volunteer riders and people who uh, – who want to be involved. And so this board has a meeting at what's called the Moto Shed on Queen Anne on March 29th at 6 p.m. in Seattle. And that's your chance to uh, meet those people on the board. And if you have some issues you want to discuss, you could bring them up at the meeting. There's also a member of the State Patrol is uh, one of the board members. So that's a chance for the State Patrol to hear what you have to say. And so is this kind of like a, a little bit like a think tank in the sense that uh, they're looking for suggestions and maybe some recommendations as far as policy is concerned with uh, the state Department of Transportation? Yeah, I don't really know what's on the agenda for this meeting, but this is like the annual get-together. So uh, uh, there, there is a link. We have an article about this on SoundWriter, and there's a link there. So maybe eventually they'll have some information about what the agenda is going to be, and you'll know a little bit more. Well, it's always good, I think, in any of these state issues to at least have the actual motorcycle uh, riding public represented here as opposed to just policymakers and bean counters leading the charge, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and people who don't ride that work within government exactly. who don't even ride a motorcycle. So. so get down there and check that out. That's coming up on March 29th is what they're planning. Yep. Uh, okay, this is another one that uh, came up the other day was uh, RevZilla – and Cycle Gear are being merged together under the same venture capital group. So uh, I asked the question, what's that spell? Well, that's two big-time motorcycle apparel and gear providers there. But I understand it anyway that they're going to con- continue to run as separate businesses, right? Because that, That's what they say. Yeah. Now, you know, any time that people get merged together like that, uh, a statement like that may only last so long. But it looks like uh, this investment group has now got an online entity and a retail entity, which is probably a good deal. Sure. They get it one way or another. And uh, But we'll just have to see how things go. I know there's a lot of people who like to buy from RevZilla online. Yeah. Well, I think they do some good reviews and that kind of thing. They provide a nice service. Uh, Cycle Gear, though, um, also has – is kind of known – it's the kind of – 
diametrically opposed in a sense because cycle gear kind of known for more affordable gear, right? Well, yes. In um, a sense. And, you know, they, they have their house brands, which uh, I personally would not buy. Sure. Uh, and then they also carry higher-grade product. So uh, consumers certainly have a choice when they go shop at that store. So it's going to be interesting, and then I guess you know we're going to see all their house brands cycle into the maybe into the Revzilla website. I don't yeah, know. that'll be interesting. I guess the big question I have is I'm, if I'm going to have enough room in my inbox and in my mailbox for catalogs from both. Because Cycle Gear, <laughs> I think I get something from them. I think just about every other day, it seems like. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't get anything from because I haven't bought anything. From I got gotcha. you. <laughs> All right. Uh, interesting news. Back in uh, early February, Dave Sweezy has left BMW Motorcycles of Seattle, and uh, uh, he's been a GM there for over 10 years. A long time. Quite a history. Uh, had quite a history in the uh, automotive industry, too. He actually came out of the automotive insurance industry. Really? Started at, at Ride West BMW, uh, putting together their whole insurance division. And that all got sold off a couple of years ago, and then the shop got sold off last year, and Dave is now departed, uh, saying that he will probably pop up doing some sort of real estate venture. Well, certainly we wait, wish uh, Dave the best. Things are just changing here, you know, always changing in the motorcycle industry, but a lot of things getting shaken up in the Pacific Northwest. So we'll see what happens down well, there. Well, he's always been a good champion for Soundrider, sure. and I hope that whatever he does uh, with the power sports industry, he will be there for us to work with. Yep, and I hope we'll see Dave out on the road, too. Uh, what else is happening here? American Motorcyclist Magazine, a couple promotions there. We we work really closely with the American Motorcyclist Association. They uh, That's who we uh, uh, sanction our rally under. It's who we sanction the Cafe to Cafe under. Uh, also the road trip and the Sasquatch. Right. And uh, I, I do uh, just about every month I'm published in there with either tips and tricks or uh, watch for the May issue. They're going to be putting out uh, a Hydra Tour article that I wrote for them. Oh, great. Uh, it's different from the one I wrote for Soundwriter. And, uh, well, AMA always doing great things in the motorcycling world, keeping an eye on those policy issues coast to coast as well. Yeah, so James Holter, uh, who's my interface at AMA for uh, for press or, or for publication, editorial, uh, he's been uh, raised up to vice president of communications. So congratulations to him. Uh, okay, and then we... Bounced into this oddball Arizona helmet law bill right. being run, and I thought that was kind of interesting. At least it's something for us all to know about. It's it's interesting. I don't know where it'll end up. Uh, go ahead, tell them what what you know all about it, Derek. Yeah, so down in Arizona, they are currently anyway. They're a ride free state, which means that you don't have to wear a helmet. And there are some proposals uh, being put together that would essentially allow you to ride without a helmet, but if you were going to, you'd have to pay more to register your motorcycle. So kind of an interesting, you know, I think we've seen some. And some people may ask, why, well, why should I have to pay more? And the fact is, is that what they're finding through some surveys they've done or some, some uh, studies they've done is right. that these people who get these head injuries, uh, a lot of those are getting paid for out of public funds, whether it's Medicare or Obamacare or whatever. Uh, that that stuff is getting paid for through there. So what they want to do is if you want to ride without a helmet, you'll have to pay more, and that money will go into that fund. That's right. So there is, uh, quoted in this article from the Havasu News, a, uh, a trauma surgeon who says that helmets reduce the risk of head injury by 69% and reduce the risk of death by 42%. Uh, 
Um, I guess that's according to the ARPORT uh, by the advocates of advocates for highway and auto safety. Which, and of course, this is one of those studies that's always dispa- de- debatable, right. disputable, and and it and, does say uh, this is a pro helmet safety organization. Yeah, yeah. We well, you know. I don't. How do you feel about this? So, like, I obviously I always think it's a good idea to wear a helmet. I always wear a helmet. But at the same time, I don't really like government meddling with motorcycling or you know anything for that matter. Well, you're asking the government to pay for all these head injuries, so I guess they want their money, huh? Well, I mean, that's how it always starts. I'm always a little bit skeptical of that, though. It always kind of reminds me of sports stadiums where they always say it's going to be such a great boon. And let's it. not forget the government is the people. We vote. For yeah. using the government. Well, in some respects, yeah, certainly. So, <laughs> Save that for a different episode. It's not episode them against of, us. Uh, it's us Sunrider. against us. Uh, in some sense, yeah, that's true. But, you know, I for personally, I don't think that uh, I would like to see people paying more to have to ride their motorcycles. A lot of these registration fees are already pretty high. So you're and, already uh, paying for the head injuries now when you pay into your insurance program. Uh, well, I mean, that's one you want line. want your premium to keep going up? That's one line of thinking. But I just, uh, for, for me, I'd put it back on the individual. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't let it go to the people or the government or any other organization. People should have their own insurance. Maybe that would be a better tactic. Okay. And we're going to leave it at that. All right. <laughs> All right. We are going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with the calendar. Hi, my name is George. I'm from East Wenatchee, Washington. One of my favorite rides is in Southeast Oregon, up onto the Steens Mountains and back down. Hi, this is Rolfie Mogabi from Rockstraps, and you're listening to the Soundwriter Show. show i'm tom Marin, and i'm here with derek roberts and we're going to get into some of the calendar items uh, but the first thing i noticed is that i didn't put something on the calendar what are we missing this month coming up from march we don't have the cafe to cafe oh Grand that's Tour. right it starts on march 1st officially yeah of course uh registration has been open for a couple of months here and we're seeing some great numbers yeah we got we got like 70 people already which is who crazy. are going to get their packages this month, and they're going to be able to start up. But it's never too late for the cafe to cafe to get your package. Really, we're just getting started. I mean, you're talking about not being too late, but you got all kinds of time. Get in there and get signed up because I know you got some great spots picked out this year. Got some really good restaurants. Can't tell you what they are. You got to register to find out what they are. But uh, we got some really cool places. But and, a hell of a deal too. Doc, uh, I even found a couple of places with Mexican food. Nice. <laughs> the official food is Sound Rider. It seems. <laughs> All right, so uh, first one I want to point out here, we've got an event going on on March 6th. Uh, This is for all you adventure riders and uh, lady riders, guy riders. Uh, This is a woman, uh, it's called One Step Beyond. Adventure rider Stephanie is going to be in Portland. She's been riding a CRF 250L. Her her goal is she's going to ride it across or already has ridden it across all seven continents so uh, i hope that ferry ride down there at antarctica wasn't too much right i don't she's i don't think she's crossing the continents though she's riding them to the continents right uh, because, yeah she just wants to ride right 
circumnavigating Antarctica. No, she's think, not maybe. riding to the continent. She's probably ferrying to a continent. Well, sure, but not, when she gets there, I think it's <laughs> – well, this would be interesting. A more reason to go, right? Ten bucks, and you can figure out if she's going to be riding across Antarctica or if she's going to be just riding in Antarctica. Yeah. yeah, so this is uh, 10 bucks. The details on where this is and how to get the tickets are on our calendar page at soundwriter.com. Uh, also coming up on the uh, – lots of stuff going on the weekend of the 11th through the 13th, uh, starting with the Inland Motorcycle Show and Sale out in Spokane. And uh, then back, back in Portland, more uh, Adventure Rider stuff. There's a group called the Adventure Trio. The Adventure Trio, interesting. And they'll be doing, I guess it's going to be a slideshow. This is a family of three people that have been out riding around on two dual sport motorcycles. And so they'll be doing a presentation at the Western Oregon BMW Motorcycle Shop out there in, uh, is that Beaverton? Is it Ty- Tigard? Tiger, Tiger, yeah, Oregon. Tiger, that's yeah. it. So that's coming up. Uh, and I told you last month I was going to put some car shows in that had motorcycle stuff. So right. we've got two coming up this month. Uh, the first one's going to be the same weekend, uh, 11 through the 13th, Central Washington Custom Car and Cycle Show. That's going to be in Yakima. And then also there's going to be on the 19th, there's going to be a motorcycle and car show in Sunnyside, Washington. So lots of good stuff going lots on in the stuff. middle of the state. Uh, Wham! will be doing their second Saturdays where they pull out the airplanes, the cars, and the motorcycles. That's right. That's the Western Antique Aeroplane and Automobile Museum. Exactly, in Hood River, Oregon. So that's coming up. Uh, here's a crazy one on the 13th. That's Sunday the 13th. This is called Twist the Wick. And what it is, uh, it's going to be a whole bunch of guys with vintage motorcycles Racing in the snow. So here's the big question is do they create the snow or are they guarantee there's snow? What is the uh... – uh, What I read was they say they know that where the snow line is right now and wherever it is, they'll go to the snow line. Oh, how this is going to happen out in Carbonado on uh, sort of the north face of Mount Rainier outside of the national park. Well, that sounds pretty gnarly, I guess. And you can find more details here on the calendar page too if you're looking – to go out to Carbonado on the weekend of the 13th. Yeah, there's a there's a link to their event page. I think it's a Facebook site, so yeah. they've been uh, doing updates and posts out there, so you can watch it as it develops. Uh, and then on uh, Wednesday, March 16th, it's back for 2016. Backfire Moto. Backfire Moto. Down in Ballard here in Seattle. Always a good time. Um, okay, and then we got a, a part swap meet at South Sound Motorcycles, and that's happening Saturday and Sunday, the 18th and the 19th. Also on the 19th at South Sound Motorcycles, there's going to be a motorcycle swap too. So parts and accessories Saturday, Sunday, motorcycles on Sunday. Well, that's pretty tough to beat, and when we're talking about the 19th, something jumped out at me here. The world's best chili competition. Oh, it's going to be at Skagit Power Sports. Bill, he's done it again. He's done it again. We were we were begging for chili cook-offs, and we, we finally got Now one. we've got it. Bring your best recipe or come and sample others. You can't beat that. Motorcycles and chili. Come on now. <laughs> uh, if, if chili's not your bag, uh, there is the uh, final episode of this year's Green Freeze happening out of Hinshaw's Motorcycle Store. Link for the page on that on our calendar as well. 
And also on the 19th, the 19th is a busy day. Now, you could go up and do the chili cook-off at Skagit in the in the afternoon right and then head down to smoky point and go to cycle barn they have their midnight madness sale from 8 p.m until midnight on saturday so things are spread out pretty good there there's a lot you could yeah. do on the 19th yeah mark that one on your calendar so that is the highlights for the March calendar. March is going to be a good month for motorcycle riders here in the Pacific Northwest. And that didn't even get us to the first day of spring. There isn't much happening after the first day of spring. That's true. But, hey, you go, you have some fun, eat some chili, see some motorcycles and some airplanes and some cars, and, you know, live it up this springtime. It's March. Come on, get out there and ride. Hey, and you know what? We update that calendar all the time, that's almost right. daily. So uh, if you know of an event that's going on, make sure you submit it to the Soundwriter calendar. Just go to soundwriter.com, click on calendar, Let click on the link to submit an event, put your event in. And uh, if you just enjoy reading the calendar, remember we're updating it all the time. So uh, whatever we told you here has uh, evolved, and there's probably more listings as you get into the middle of the month. That's right. So uh, we're going to be right back with our first interview. Looking forward to it. Stick around to the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Ron Fox. I live on the Kitsap Peninsula in the town of Polsbo. My favorite ride down here is the Vista House. The curves are great, the road is in great shape, and it is fun. Hi, this is Don Doherty with All Moto Tire, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Welcome back, writers. We are here in Kingston, Washington, and we've moved the studio across the water from the uh, crow's nest today, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us, a man who almost needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. Uh, This guy has built me about seven different motorcycle seats over the years, uh, he's well-known around town, he's well-known around the Puget Sound, he's well-known around the United States, and he's known around the world. We are here today with Rich O'Connor from Rich's Custom Seats. Welcome to the show, Rich. Well, thanks a lot, Tom, and thanks for having me. Well, Rich, it's great to have you here on the Soundwriter Show for this March episode. And you know, we're starting to get into that springtime season where people are starting to think a little bit about touring, especially out here in the Pacific Northwest. And, of course, I think it was kind of self-explanatory there, Rich from Rich's Custom Seats. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your business and uh, why people might be interested in coming out to your shop here in Kingston and what they can look forward to. Um, uh, give you just a little bit of background. Yeah. I've, I've been in the uh, upholstery-slash-motorcycle seat industry for over 40 years. Uh, I started riding when I was 10, and uh, since I was 13 or 14 years old, I've always owned one type of a motorcycle or many and have went from doing uh, a lot of dirt bike riding to some dual sport riding to doing um, a lot of highway riding, seeing, you know, fabulous parts of the world. Some, yeah. of, the, some of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life was on motorcycles. And uh, then I got into doing some endurance riding, which I was very avid at for a uh, 
for a many years period of time and still get out and ride, you know, some big miles from time to time. And, and, uh, so I, I, I love the sport and I'm very fortunate to have a career that, uh, I'm able to take what people love to do and I get to make it more fun for them. So it's a pretty good gig. Yeah. So, um, if somebody's, uh, interested in our service, basically what we do is we take your original motorcycle seat yeah, building off the original pan, and then we shape it to your body within a sixteenth of an inch of your anatomy. Because the big challenge with motorcycles, very different than, say, automobiles, is every car in the world, you can adjust the seat forward and back, and most of them go up and down. That's very true. And uh, it doesn't really matter if you're buying a really, really expensive motorcycle or an entry-level motorcycle. If you if you're very short, five foot five or shorter, or six foot one or two or taller, in particular, um, it makes it very challenging to either touch the ground or you know not have your knees up in the fairing or handlebars or or um, any of those challenges that that some people have. So what we're able to do is to move people's people around on the motorcycle forward back up and down uh wider narrower and you know make it more anatomically and ergonomically correct within the parameters of the motorcycle of course i can't cut the frame and i sure i I can't stretch the bike out which you know do happen from time to time but anything between that fuel tank and that fender I can make any shape in the world. Well, I think that's something that's very interesting because oftentimes we talk about comfort, you know, adjusting that clutch lever, the handlebars, and that kind of thing. But everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are under that impression that the seat is kind of like, well, it's fixed. It is what it is. You know, you might be able to get, you know, a uh, an aftermarket seat, but you really can't do too much to affect the performance of the bike itself. But it sounds like what you're telling me is that you can essentially, I mean, you can really remanufacture the entire ride of the bike here. Yeah, if a, a seat is such an important component of the motorcycle um, experience because um, 85% of your contact of your body with that motorcycle is in your seat. Uh, so if the more square inches your body's weight's displaced on, of course the seat doesn't have to be a, a yard wide, but it's wherever your body turns. So the the more square inches, the more even the weight distribution, the more comfortable the ride's going to be. It's all about square inches of weight distribution, mimicking that particular person's anatomy. Sure. And if, if you go back to the days of when people rode a lot of horses and not so much cars, there was a saddleman. Right. And that saddleman made those saddles to custom fit each one of those people. So, the, you know, you just couldn't give them a stock saddle and expect that they were going to feel very good at the that's end of the day. That's absolutely right. So Rich is kind of an iron horse saddleman, right? Well, we actually, we do very much what, what they did, you know, 500 years ago. So if you went to a saddle maker and you had him make a saddle for, to, you know, for your horse, for you, he would build a frame, which for me, it's the seat pan of the motorcycle. And then he built a saddle to mimic that person's particular anatomy. And just like they had children's saddles and they had big people saddles, they had female saddles. It's all the same thing. It's just a different kind of horse. Yeah, absolutely. But there are a lot of differences in individuals' anatomy. So, I mean, I can see why this would be such an attraction, especially you talk about doing a lot of, uh, you know, iron butt riding, but not just for iron butt, but for touring. How does that kind of play into maybe the product offering here? I mean, obviously you're not making seats for strictly iron butt riders. What can uh, some other rider types choose from? What about the touring guy or the day-to-day commuter? What kind of uh, advice or what kind of seats can you build for these types of riders? 
Well, um, they, they're all going to somewhat mimic that particular person's anatomy, but what's, um, what's more of a, um, a factor is like types of writing. And there are people that, you know, they're just doing the commute and they're, they're big challenge. They may come into my shop and they say, Hey, you know, I'm commuting on the ferry boat. I'm going down the freeway, stop and go traffic. I've got to get my feet on the ground better because half the time my feet are on the ground. And, Interesting. and we will build a seat for them that, that mainly, um, that's the big factor that's important to them. Dual sport riding is another thing that's, that's a very different kind of seat. You want to have a sweet spot in that seat where you can sit, say where you're getting to those trial trails or or uh, uh, fire roads or whatever it is but then you have to keep that seat very narrow and sleek in the front so if you get into something technical you can plan a foot if you need to and then of course there's the other issues of you know some of the shorter riders need to be able to back their bikes up and um and there's just there's as many different challenges as there is motorcycle riders, so you just have to accommodate each one on an individual basis. Right, but it sounds like it covers the entire spectrum. You mentioned dual sports. I think a lot of times, probably people when they initially think of custom seats, they think of maybe more cruiser style, but that's not the case. This covers every type of motorcycle. Yeah, from from mopeds to choppers to, um, to, to you know dual sports. Sure, we do a lot of scooters these days. Scooters make a lot of sense. If yeah. you're if you're doing a ferry boat commute, you know many of the scooters. Geez, you lift the seat up. You can put two or three bags of groceries under there. If you work at like Swedish Hospital, um, you're first on, first off on a ferry boat, and uh, they have parking for free. So you think about the uh, economic advantages of motorcycle commuting, and of course you got your carpool lanes, and and it goes on and on. That, that it just makes sense. I'm surprised more people don't ride. Because it, with the traffic the way it is today, how does it not make sense? That's true. Not to mention, it's a hell of a lot more fun than sitting in your Honda Accord, right? So there, <laughs> there's a lot of benefits for motorcycles. Now, let's talk a little bit about materials, right? Because you're, we talk about shaving the seat down, getting it matched to your anatomy. Is leather kind of the go-to for you as far as the outer material? Or do you use the stock vinyl? Or do you have other offerings? I understand that we might have some exotic leathers to choose from here as well. We, we do exotics. And uh, my, my uh, original making of motorcycle seats actually had nothing to do with ergonomics or anatomy at all. It was all about show bikes and making these beautiful pieces of art that were, you know, rolling art. And they didn't, uh, they were about matching um, stitching to color schemes, matching graphics, flames, whatever it was. And then in... 10 years into it, uh, back in the early 90s is when we started doing what we call uh, comfort fitting. And we started doing that and, um, and the ability to incorporate in also styling into, say, a nice comfortable seat is, is a big advantage. Our lion's share of seats that we do, we do in leather because leather molds to your body on a hot day, leather breeze, um, it wears better and it doesn't trap water. The big challenge we have in the Pacific Northwest is with a vinyl seat, even if it has no seams in it at all, water will still wick from underneath the seat and get up inside of the foam of it, and then it has no way to breathe out. When you stitch vinyl, it leaves holes in it, and it's going to let the water in. When you stitch leather and it gets wet, it swells up. But you could physically take a leather motorcycle seat, put it underwater, and it would dry out in a few days. Um, but a vinyl seat, once that water's in there, it's in there forever. I can give you a really quick little story. Sure. 
uh, last year, not this last winter, winter before we had a really cold day. It was 20 some degrees. We had a gentleman that brought his seat in and the seat was physically frozen like an ice cube. That is not good for comfort. (laughs) And we have a hot box in here that we use for drying seats out every day. And it is used all the time. Even in the middle of summer when it hasn't rained for months, we'll get seats in here that are still just soaking wet because there's no way for that water to breathe out of that foam. It's interesting. And and from personal experience, I find that um, if I have a vinyl covered seat, my butt itches after a, a few hours on the bike. Not even a few hours. I mean, sometimes it might be, it might be after an hour because all that moisture that's building up on my skin isn't isn't getting a chance to wick out the way the leather will pull it out. And so it stays there and starts to itch. It gets bacteria and whatever. Yeah, that, that breathability, um, that has been around forever and ever. They call it monkey butt or, sure. or hot spots or rashes or whatever it is. The reality is, is we're dirty, filthy animals, and our sweat is very salty and acidic. So if you end up sitting in a puddle of sweat at the end of the day, it's really no different than what, what you know, it's a, like a diaper rash. So any breathability that you can get between your body and, a you know, particularly a piece of vinyl. Remember, vinyl is just a piece of plastic. Yeah. You know? And that breathability is so important. And there's a lot of, you know, there's other ways to do it too. We see a lot of people in the IBA, the Iron Butt Association, that uses sheepskins over their seats. And it's all just about making a variation of their seating position a little bit, but also the breathability. The challenge with using a sheepskin is, is yeah, it's great on a, a, a hot day, but it, they don't work very well for... Um, uh, for rain at all, and then of course you got to pack it with you. And if you're packing tight, it's one more thing you got to carry. And they're hard to keep on the motorcycle and keep them affixed in a nice, tight manner. Where if you have the seat that's made out of leather and it breathes well, you don't have those challenges. But for a lot of people, the sheepskin is a nice option for hot days, regardless of what kind of a seat they have. So we see a lot of people using those. So I'm not but, against them at all. But the sheep don't like it because then they don't have their skin on. No, right. the, 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 that makes it rough sheep. a little bit. No, sheep, like all animals, they, they make great sweaters and <laughs> clothes. And this and that. So tell me now, someone comes out here, though, and they get the, they get the custom seat dialed in, right? And they come back to you and they say, you know, Rich, uh, my ass feels like a million bucks now, but what else can you do for me ergonomic-wise? Because now my seat's changed position a little bit. What other offerings do you have here at Rich's Custom Seats ergonomic-wise? Do you do anything with control adjustments and that kind of thing to make the rider just 100% sort of centered in, locked in? To their new machine. Okay, so I am, you know, an expert in ergonomics and anatomy because, I, of course, I have to understand the human body to be able to to uh, uh, solve challenges that a particular individual has. But as far as ergonomics go, we do a lot of foot pegs. Um, most of the uh, they call them engine guards now. I, I guess you can't call them crash bars. Um, All right, that's not as politically correct <laughs> as it used to be, yeah, but it, and. Uh, yeah, so you can't use that term anymore. Sure. Um, but most of them are between one inch and one and a half inches in diameter. So foot peg wise, I have all the different foot peg configurations where I can move uh, most highway pegs on most motorcycles up to six inches. So I do offer that service. My big deal is making the suggestions that will make the motorcycle more ergonomically friendly. So all I do every day you know, that I work is I look at people on motorcycles. So in most applications, I can tell better what is going to improve the ergonomics 
on the motorcycle better than the customer themselves. So I will make the suggestion. So if I see somebody that's sitting on a, a bike and they're really reaching for those bars, one of the old uh, tricks that we've used here forever is you say, hey, on a long ride, which if you're riding along and your arms are out hanging on the bars and you feel tension between the tip of your shoulder blade and the base of your neck, mainly at the base of your neck, and then you go ahead and you fingertip the bars, move your hands all the way back and just touch the fingers, and that tension goes away, that's your body talking to you. And that tells you also that you need to move those handlebars back. You can't be stiff-armed on a motorcycle. If you're stiff-armed on a motorcycle, all of the motion of the front of the motorcycle is being transmitted up through your body. So you, what you want to do is you want to isolate vibration. So you need a minimum of a 15-degree of a bend on your elbow and no more than 90 degrees on your knees. Now, all motorcycles aren't that way, of course. You know, if you're on a, a, a sport bike, you're always going to be leaning on that front tire, and you're always going to have more of your weight towards the front of your pelvis. Cruiser bikes, you know, those are the easiest ones to do because you sit back into them and... Uh, you know, you just get the person in the right position. And, you know, again, you, you'll make suggestion about foot pegs. We move a lot of rear foot pegs. Harley Davidson's rear pegs on all of their FLHs move up an inch and down an inch. Half the customers I have come to my shop have no idea that there's passengers' pegs move up and down. That's quite a bit of play, too. You're talking about two inches there. That makes yeah. a big difference, especially on those two, three-hour, four-hour, five-hour rides, right? Yeah, it's, it's a huge deal. That's where, like a highway peg, a highway peg is a huge uh, improvement on a motorcycle because you have to keep your pelvis moving. The, you, you keep it moving because you want to keep the blood flowing through it. When you're sitting in a motorcycle for, say, a multi-hour period of time and your butt starts going numb, what that basically is is it's nerve cells dying. And you don't really want that to happen. Sure, you'll acclimate to anything, but it, you're much better off rotating your pelvis, keeping it moving, and keeping that blood flowing through it. So multiple foot, foot peg positions are a huge, huge deal. On the IBA website, they make several suggestions on, on longer distance riding, and it doesn't have to be 1,000-mile days. Um, but even for you know out there for a three- or four- or five-hour day on a motorcycle, if you go to the IBA website and you read their suggestions, I've never known anyone who hasn't got something out of it. So sure. that would be a suggestion. And IBA being the Iron Butt Association, just for any listeners who aren't familiar with that. But I think that's uh – you know, those are some points that honestly, you know, I've been riding for, you know, five years now. Those are things that I've never even considered really, um, almost under kind of the assumption that the bike is kind of what you get is what you get. There's a half inch here or there, but uh, I think those are some really excellent points that you make. And I want to talk a little bit about the process then because... Hang on. I, got, I want to make one point here. Sure. There's an error that a lot of riders make, and when they get here, Rich points it out to them. Some of them take the wisdom and use it, others poo-poo it. But you can get a custom seat, and it will never feel as good as it can if you're riding around with a wallet stuffed in your right or left rear pocket. Sure. Because you're going to be tweaking your spinal column the whole time, no matter what. No right. matter where, where uh, your right height or whatever. So uh, that's, that's another one. I don't know. Is that on the IBA website? No, but it's on my warranty of my, uh, um, of my uh, customer... 
it's in our warranty that that uh, if you have a wallet in your pocket, and I can tell if you've been riding around with one in there, that um, we're not making accommodations for that. Because for me, it's common sense. When I'm fitting somebody within a sixteenth of an inch of a motorcycle and to their anatomy, and they throw a, a wallet that's an inch or an inch and a half thick, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of what we do. Exactly. So, so any chiropractor in the world will tell you the exact same thing. You want to you want to get that even weight distribution and um, and keeping your, your pelvis, you know, as straight as you can. And and you'll see it all the time where somebody's sitting, you know, you'll see them sitting down and, and their whole body's canted to one side. And it's just really bad ergonomics. It's bad for your spine. It's bad for everything. So it's a really a bad idea. So if somebody asked me to... Um, hey, can you carve out a spot for my wallet? We're just not doing that. <laughs> right. Well, and that's good advice, too, not just for uh, bike riding, uh, motorcycle riding, that is, but also just in general. If you're sitting uh, you know, day-to-day at your office chair or in the diner booth, whatever it may be. Or driving that, your car. Yep, having that chunky wallet. So uh, good advice there. But let's quickly, Rich, as we wrap up here, let's just talk about the, uh, the system that you have set up here because custom seats, that's not something that I get on the phone and I say, hey, Rich, make me a custom seat. I'll come pick it up in a month. You've got to have the person live on the property at the shop here. So take me through and our listeners through a little bit how that process gets initiated and what happens when they get out here. Okay, well, actually, there is two different processes to it. Um, There's what we call a dimensional seat, which is a mail order, where somebody will send me their motorcycle seat, pictures of them with their feet on the ground, with their feet on the pegs, hands on the handlebars, side angle photograph of them and i will build a motorcycle seat to the best of my ability Um, generally what those applications are those people from out of town they're either a long a really long ways away number one but may the 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 majority of those people are either really tall or really short so anything i'm doing for them is is going to accommodate them and allow them to at least ride the motorcycle and not have it either be dangerous or not have it so uncomfortable that's just killing them after a short ride. Sure. But what we would like people to do, particularly if you're within a 500-mile range of, of the Seattle area, is, is to come in, and what we do then is we, uh, the process works like this. You come in in the morning, we uh, gather some information from you, we strip the cover off the seat, we glue it to the pan to make a nice, stable, good foundation to work off of. Then I set you on there and I add and take away foam until the motorcycle seat mimics your body to the best of my ability that I can see. I'll have you lift your body up and set it back down. I'll watch the foam movement because what I want you to do is when when you come down onto that seat, I want it to touch your whole body at exactly the same time. And of course, a little bit of room for moving around. And then after we do that, the, then we'll send you out on a little test ride to see if there's any hot spots. What I can't see is bone structure. I can tell where it's touching you, but if, say, if, if somebody has the, their pelvis, the bones in their pelvis called your ischial tuberosities, if those are, on some people, they're really sharp. On some people who've had tailbone issues, same deal, because we have no padding where a Cossack is. So uh, you'll go out and take it for a, a short spin and tell me if there's any voids or if it's digging in, because... Uh, those test rides are so key to make sure that the person's not sliding forward. And then after that, we'll go ahead and uh, recess for where the gel pad goes in, which allows you to move around on the seat, have it continue to fit you. And then we pick out the materials, and it's all done in one day. So, yeah, we can build a dimensional seat, but the reality of it is, is when I have you in the shop, 
The more information I have, of course, the better product I can build for you. And what I want to do is, you know, I don't want to make a million seats. I want to make, you know, 2,000 perfect motorcycle seats a year. Right. And, and it's a guaranteed product. It's not, you know, it's not like you're going to buy something and hope for the best. You're paying for a service. So if you do have any challenges with it, um, adjustments are part of the service, and there's and we do them gladly at no charge. We want you to be happy and and tell your friends. And the last thing I want you to do is to be thinking about you know me every time that you go ride your motorcycle. I want you to enjoy the sights and the sounds and the smells. And the last thing on your mind is that your body's hurting you when you're trying to go out and have a have a you know a great weekend. And we work all week for that. Sure. Well, we want uh, the riders to be thinking about you when their buddy's complaining about how sore their butt is at the end of the day, right? Well, <laughs> so tell us little bit just real uh, hold quickly. on hold on there's one more factor he sure. didn't mention um and i'm going to mention this for the readers who are thinking of going and getting a seat from riches if you're a guy and you're well endowed with family jewels rich probably isn't going to ask you but you need to make sure you're comfortable in that area as well as you're taking those test rides and coming back in and make sure that you're not getting cramped up up in there yeah every as as far as people with special anatomic issues you know that's what we call them no matter what what they are there's there's nothing new it's just when you come to see me it's just like seeing a doctor it's just uh, you know it's another day it's another service some people are very self-conscious they might be self-conscious about their weight or or who knows what it is but for me you know I, what i want to do is is Again, take what people love to do and just make it more fun for them. You know, go out and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I love motorcycle riding, and I That's want everybody else to enjoy it, too. What it's all about. Get out and ride, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, Rich, uh, your website where our listeners can go and find out a little bit, mo- bit more information and maybe reach out to you directly. Yeah, it's uh, com. Uh, standard deal. If you Google anything with a riches in it, we're going to come up number one on any search engine anyway. So if you if you don't get that exactly, just put custom motorcycle seat or riches, custom seats, and, and it'll, it'll if, come right up. If you're reading Soundwriter, you just click on the ad. Click through the ad. That's right. And, and of course, you can do that. Um, but if you... A lot of people are doing the email thing these days, and and it can be very challenging because they'll have like five or six questions that each question can be answered five or six different ways, and that leads to another question. So if you send me in a list of questions, it might take a week going back and forth because the reality is is, is I'm hands-on. I'm in the back of the shop every day. I'm running my crew. I'm fitting all the customers that come through here. So I have a very limited amount of time. But if you call me on the phone, it is so much easier for me to answer yeah. your questions, and I know what to ask to get to the next right question, and you can a lot of times save a lot of time. So just keep that in mind because um, uh, we run into this all the time. It's it's become such an Internet email world, and today is another goofy day where our email is down. You know, it's like, man, it's just very, very challenging with the computers. Sure. Well, you can find those phone numbers, too, at www.richescustomseats.com. Rich, thank you so much for being the man on the custom-molded hot seat here today on the Sound Rider Show. We look forward to seeing you out on the road this, uh, this spring and summer. Yep, and thank you very much for having me. It's, it's uh, been great. I've been working with Tom for years and years. He's a great guy. Go on one of his rides. You'll have a great time. I don't know anybody that has... Uh, went on one of his rides that hasn't came out back with rave reviews. Well, excellent advice all throughout the interview there. Rich from Rich's Custom Seats. We'll see you out on the road. Listeners, stick around through the break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tim. I live in Burien, and a few of my favorite rides in the state of Washington are uh, 
Probably number one is Washington 20. Uh, it's just a nice scenic trip, like traveling through the Alps. And right behind that would be uh, Lolo Pass uh, on the pavement. Or if you're really adventuresome, take the uh, Lolo Motorway uh, or the Magruder Corridor to go east and west. Uh, all great rides. This is Dave Richardson from Moto International. You're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Riders, we are back with an interview section of the Soundwriter Show. And uh, at this point, we're going to be talking with Mark and Dana from Valentine Motor Works down on Aurora Avenue in Seattle. And uh, these guys have quite the background in doing uh, service on bikes and tweaking up bikes, customizing bikes. Derek, take it away. That's right. Pretty much anything that you can think of here. So we were pretty happy to have you guys in studio here. Some certifiable motorcycle experts. And as we head into spring here in March, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you guys here. So let's start off. Mark, Dana, tell us a little bit about your background. How long have you guys been in the industry? How long have you guys been wrenching on bikes? Oh, I started in the late 90s in Ohio in a junkyard, which is a really good place to start. Absolutely, yeah. Can't mess up, right? <laughs> You can't mess much up, and yeah. you really learn how to deal with rust and and junk. Sure, yeah, and some uh, cold temperatures as well in the wintertime yeah. there, so it gives you good practice for the Pacific Northwest. It's mild comparatively. Yeah, this seems great. Right, yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Mark? When uh, did you get your start here in the motorcycle industry? How long have you been wrenching on bikes? Well, I went to uh, Motorcycle Mechanics Institute right out of high school and uh, went back to Fairbanks, Alaska, and went uh, into Honda motorcycles. Nice. In fact, it was... Uh, the entire Honda range. We had a lot of tractors, generators, four-wheelers. Could, could you give us a year on that? That was 1989, graduated, so 1990. I was back, uh, late 1990, back okay. in Fairbanks. Worked on Honda for 10 years or so, and then uh, moved to Seattle and started with BMW. Been there ever since. So we're talking about over 50 years of experience between the two of you down at Valentine Motor Works. Now, as I recall, you guys for a long time were at BMW here in Seattle, right? So yeah. at Valentine, though, that's not just what we're working with. We're touching all bikes. We're not just on BMWs. Is that correct? Right, right. Yeah, we uh, we handle a lot of the BMWs in summer. Sure. It's so busy, but off season, we really do pretty much anything except you know maybe Harleys and Ducatis, but depending on the work. It's case-by-case basis with most everything. You'll touch them all, huh? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So now we're rolling into March here, right? So this is kind of, we're talking about the opening of the spring season. A lot of people are starting to go out to the garage, wipe the dust off a little bit. And that's one of the things that we want to focus on here. What are some of the tips that you have for our listeners here? What are some of the things that they need to do to get their bike ready? Maybe not just by themselves, but maybe bring it down to you so that you can have a trouble-free riding season, spring and summer. Where do you guys get started this time of year? Well, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, the the most uh, common issue is batteries. Sure. So if you haven't charged your battery yet, uh, I would start charging it now, and hopefully it didn't die during the winter. Yeah. Batteries and fuel are the big things. Batteries and fuel. Now, when you talk about fuel, what are some of your suggestions there? I mean, we always talk about topping off the tank, right, whenever you're going to store it right. for winter. 
But now when we're going to bring it back out of the shed for a lot of people, if they haven't been riding, which many of us are fortunate enough to ride throughout the year, what are some uh, tips or some tricks maybe in, in regards to fuel so that guys are ready to go and they don't burn up their engine? Well, the fuel should be okay if it's just been the winter. It's a couple of months, yeah. Yeah. Should be. Do you guys do any things like fuel stabilizers or anything like that? How do you feel about using those types of products when they're in storage over the long term? I think it's a good idea to put fuel stabilizer in there if you can think about it. Um, it's not such a big deal if the tank's full, but, you know, it doesn't hurt. Um, so definitely preparing for the winter is the best uh, springtime, you know, option you can have. Uh, but, yeah, fuel stabilizer is good. Um, you know, uh, the fuel um, issues depend on the bikes mostly now, sure. whether it's fuel injection, carburation, stuff like that. But definitely, you know, running it out of fuel and getting the stuff out of there, putting fuel in there, uh, stabilizer and filling the tank is a good start. A good start, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, a lot of the BMW uh, people le- love this idea where they run their carburetors totally dry. Really? Yeah. And what is that? What's the supposed effect? I think the hope is that there? it gets all the fuel out of your little pilot jets, and and then there's nothing to you know well, seize I, up in there. I got some experience with that because I've had a varnished carb in the past. Mm-hmm. So um, I run it dry because that way I don't have any fuel in that carb to have varnish. And uh, I do use this little stabilizer in the fall when I put them away, but uh, you know. It, doesn't hurt to drain them before you fire them up in the spring, too, if they do have fuel in them, just in case. But by that point, you've probably already varnished the, the carb. Yeah, know? but it won't run on that old varnished fuel. And the smaller the capacity of the fuel reservoir, like a carburetor float bowl, the more susceptible it is to go bad. So that's yeah. why they drain their float bowls. But sometimes it won't start on that old fuel if you didn't drain it. Drain it before you try to start it because that will foul your plug if you sure. try to mm-hmm. start it on that old stuff, too. Sure. So now when we're pulling the bikes out, though, for springtime, because I want to get back to that a little bit here, bringing it down to you guys, maybe a lot of people want to take it into some service techs before the start of the season. You know, they're looking ahead to 10,000 miles of riding. When someone brings down a bike to you and says, you know, there's nothing wrong, but I just want you to guys to make sure that it's going to stay that way. What are some of the things that you guys will look for? Do you guys have maybe sort of a routine service option where people can just kind of drop off the bike? You guys will look, for, look at it from, you know, front to back and see if there's anything wrong, or where do you usually start with people like that? Well, this might be a good time to say, put some air in those tires first. Sure, before you ride it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, we're not going to need your gigantic saddlebags to, to look over the machine. So trim it down, stream, yeah. streamline it a little bit, huh? Yeah. yeah. But is there anything that you guys are looking for? I mean, what are kind of maybe the couple of points? Do you guys look at, like, chain tension? I mean, that's kind of basic stuff, but... What will you guys do for people? I mean, will you open it up a little bit and just make sure that everything's good? Do you guys have a, you know, like a five-point, ten-point service inspection to get the season started? Where do you usually, um, where do you usually begin with these guys? Well, I, I think it's a, it's an, uh, a pretty much comprehensive overview of the cycle. So you could pin it down to several points, but you really want to go front to back, top to bottom, and it doesn't take that long to really go over, you know, all the cable tensions, chain tension, tire pressures, sure. fluid levels. You know, pretty much go top to bottom, see if you find anything, take it for a test drive, see what happens. It's really just about, you know, hours worth of work to really go over the entire cycle and make sure that, you know, you're looking at all the safety issues as well as, you know, something that might have uh, happened over the season, like maybe fuel lines leaking now. Right. And that's something to look forward when you take it out of the shed um, after the winter is maybe you got a cracked fuel line now that 
dried out over the winter. Now it's leaking fuel. So, you know, getting it out on the road, looking it completely over is, is really the best best option. I gotcha. Well, that makes sense to me. Now, what about, because you guys have so much experience in the industry here. You've worked on so many different types of bikes. I'm kind of curious, broad overview, what have you seen as far as maybe reliability-wise? Is there any brand that stands out? I know most of them seem to be pretty good, but is there anything in your experience in working on bikes? Is there any brands at BMW? Is it Honda? Do you see any sort of reliability factor in between the brands? Uh, I think the, uh, the, you know, the big four, as well as the the newer European models, they're all really good depending on your maintenance of the cycle. I mean, if you let it decay for 10, you know, or even five years, you've got a lot going on with any type of brand. But, you know, any motorcycle, Honda, BMW, um, you know, that's maintained regularly, sure. they hold up. I mean, I've had a, you know, everyone's had maybe a Honda with 100,000 miles on it, right. as well as a BMW. They seem to go that well as well. But it, the key is the maintenance on it. I think the BMW owners maybe maintain their cycles a little more often, and that's yeah. why they last longer. Where, I gotcha. But uh, I think it's all in maintenance, and really, aside from the um, more thifty uh, Chinese brands that have really come sure. out that We're are actually, that. they seem to be more of a uh, disposable mm. motorcycle, no matter what you do. Right, so, from both a, a price point uh, initially, as well as a, a maintenance, sort right. of uh, long-term standing. That is interesting that you mentioned that, though, because how many are you guys starting to see an influx of these uh, cheaper Chinese bikes? I don't even know what the, I wouldn't even know a brand name to start with. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we get a lot of calls from people with um, Chinese scooters wanting us to take a look. I gotcha. A lot of people calling. And you guys are seeing those kind of decay rather rapidly. I mean, are these two-year-old scooters that are? Yeah, they're not very old. Right. And we try to find someone else to work on them. Right. What What are some of the issues that you're seeing with these Chinese bikes, though? I mean, is it just general just qual- part quality? Is it yeah. just, I mean, everything is just yeah, it's, it's pretty much shot quality. to hell in a hurry, huh? Yeah, parts quality and the fa- the way they're manufactured, they just kind of fall apart. I mean, bolts rattle out of them right. you know, fairly mm-hmm. consistently. So it's everything from, the, I think, the design to uh, the manufacturer of those bikes. They're made to last a couple years, you know, and right. then if you want to keep them on the road, it takes half the value of that motorcycle to get them back out there. You know, <laughs> if it costs a thousand bucks, you know, and you got to spend 500 bucks two years later, it's, it's kind of a hard, yeah, you know, that's not a really good deal. So yeah, I think what your suggestion might be is to spend the $3,000 on a used Honda from uh, 2001 and you'll be better off than a brand new uh, Chinese bike. Maybe, yeah. You huh? want to look at oh, how yeah. long you want that cycle, you know, Definitely. you want it to last. I just directed a friend in San Francisco to the 80 CC Honda, elite from 85 or whatever right because he had bought a chinese scooter and was really not happy yeah that's a tough uh that's a tough transition there i guess if you're going from the reliability of honda so i mean it looks shiny on the showroom floor and i guess there's probably even a few places here in seattle up and down aurora where you can buy some of these new scooters Mm -hmm. i'd imagine right now you guys uh of course have been in the industry a long time what kind of bikes are you guys riding yourselves do you have anything that's been in the stable for a long time for each of you respectively are we looking at anything new (laughs) <laughs> always looking at something new i'm well, sure right but yeah we i don't have any many new bikes I, I usually keep my bikes for about 10 years or so right. and uh so i've had a, a honda hurricane 1000 for 10 so years i sold that i've had a blackbird for about 10 years and just sold that um i've got a bmw gs uh i bought a little fzr 600 for the track use that 
just because it was cheap, sure. you know, and I can kind of thrasher it. And then I've got a couple of two strokes as well that, uh, some 1971 DS7 that I've rebuilt and now a H1 500 that I'm rebuilding right now. My project this year that I'm very excited about, which I'll keep, I think. Yeah. Well, it's nice to get a little fleet there. How about you, yeah. Dana? Well, I also have a, uh, loyalty problem. I've got, I'm still hanging on to a Suzuki 750 I built at that junkyard. Nothing wrong with that. No, I love it. And then I built a kind of a crashed R100 GS PD back into a nice machine. And that, that's my new favorite. But I also love the two strokes. And I'm, I'm going to put my little 250 Suzuki twin back on the road this year. That's my project for the... That's good. Nice little... Maybe you could put a Chinese two-stroke motor in it, huh? No, no. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not for very long. Those bolts will rattle out in a hurry, it sounds like. Uh, So let's kind of um, talk a little bit more about the shop here. What uh, do we see uh, for you guys, just for our listeners, because we have a lot of people in the Seattle area here, what can they expect as far as rate-wise? And this kind of maybe if you can recap the list of services that you do offer down here in Aurora. Well, we pretty much offer everything. I mean, uh, you know, we restore bikes and, and rebuild, you know, basket cases, I guess, mostly during the winter, um, just because summers are really busy for maintenance type uh, items. You know, there's so many bikes out there, so many people, and the summers are, you know, they're not that long. So it's really busy in summer for maintenance type stuff. So winter, we go into the Japanese brands and, and kind of do whatever longer type projects, um, but we do everything from we stock tires for all BMWs and most other makes, you know, oil changes, checkovers like we already went over, um, all the way to restoring bikes, you know, down in the frames and motor rebuilds. There's really not a lot we can't do. Uh, we've done it all and uh, and do it all on a regular basis. So um, there's really not a lot we don't. Full service shop, it sounds like, down there anyway. So uh, uh, one thing I know is you guys have the lounge upstairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I know you have a customer who just rode a bike up in the morning. You put your tires on it. He waited. And the bike got done. He was very happy with how fast it got done. He rode it back home, grabbed his wife's bike, came back. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And sat upstairs again and waited and uh, got two bikes, new tires, back and forth from uh, Pierce County. I think it's where he lives. Yeah. And uh, all in a day before the rush hour kicked in at 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So he was a happy guy. Yeah, you know, the, I guess the biggest thing we should mention is, you know, communication. I mean, as long as you let us know when you want to bring it in and when you want to pick it up, and if there's no questions, I mean, we, make, we can make it happen. It's, it's the assumption sometimes that get in trouble, you know. Um, but we've got the lounge upstairs, which is relatively new. The old owner didn't have that up there. So sure. there's a couch, Wi-Fi, a TV, we... We do some MotoGP parties up there on the weekends, nice. you know, and coming up. And um, it's really, you know, nice. But you tell them what, tell us what you want, and we can make it happen. It's a pretty simple process, you know. Well, and that's one of the things, too, Tom and I were talking before he got here. And Tom was just uh, telling me how, since you guys have taken over the shop, he hasn't heard one complaint about the service. So oh, good. You know, that's definitely good, I think, for our listeners to know. But also, you know, hats off to you guys as well. Um, I, I know another service that they do that we didn't really say so <clears throat> we've been talking about old bikes but you know a lot of of the the oem shops will only work back about 12 years on bikes and these guys will go in and work on a 1988 or a 1970 mm-hmm. and uh you know and, and it, it, 
they've they've done my bike, so I know they, they there's a little TLC in there, and we're you know I'm doing it. I'm having them do the work here in the winter, so I'm in no rush for the bike back. That gives them time to get it done right, to find the right parts, because it's not always easy to find the parts. Um, sometimes you got to go find those. What do they call them? NOS OEM guys, uh-huh. yeah, and and dig the part out there, and uh, so. That's that's a service that you guys provide that not a lot of shops around the area do. Yeah, I think we're more of a, a – we look into uh, actually trying to do everything right rather than quick and easy. You know, I mean, if there is an issue, we always tell people, you need to come back and talk to us. We don't want to make it feel right. like we're not available to discuss if you do have an issue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and sometimes the dealers, you're the connective uh, – well, the one-on-one isn't there. You're dealing through a middleman. You don't get to talk to the tech. Whereas if you have something you want done, you just need to let us know and we can do it. Or if we can't do it, we're going to be right up front and say, we're not going to do that. Sure. Not that that happens very often, but we have that one-on-one. With service manager and mechanic, right? Right. So we're they it. do it all. So. And the parts man. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty great. It's definitely good to know, especially about the older bikes. If somebody rides a 96 Suzuki, you know, it's nice to know. Places to go because I mean that doesn't even seem old when you say it, but then right. you realize we're talking twenty years mm-hmm. ago, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of people when they get started and they want to go out and look to find you guys, it's going to be the web. So maybe a website address. I know you guys have some contact information on there. Where can we find you on the uh, on the internet? Oh, uh, it's ValentineMotorWorks.com. That's it. It Simple, is. Right? It's the unusual V A L L A N. Yeah. Spelling. So maybe a Google first, but ValentineMotorWorks.com. No, I got a better way for them to find it. They just go to Soundwriter and look for the ad. Click yeah. through. Oh, Roger and that. Click yeah. through on that ad. We're on Facebook as well, which we usually kind of post, you know, project or kind of odd pictures on there, more of a real time sure. uh, interaction as well. Now, is that where I'm going to find out about the MotoGP parties? Yeah, we're going to post them on there. Okay. Perfect. And maybe something we add to the calendar, too, on soundwriter.com. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been great, guys. A lot of great tips in here for uh, a lot of our listeners as we head into spring. Uh, Mark and Dana from Valentine Motorworks, thanks, you guys, for being on the uh, Soundwriter show today. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. So, Mike Monahan out of Tualatin, Oregon. And most recent trip on my KLR 650 2015 was down the Oregon coast, and we camped at some great uh, state parks uh, the weather was phenomenal. Just had a great, great time. And then just before that, we did the Oregon Backcountry Discovery Route number four from Sisters to Seneca. And it was terrific, too. Great time, great weather. And uh, the bike would perform just great. Hi, guys. This is Bill from Revit. You're listening to the Sound Rider Show. <laughs> Rolling into the final segment of the Soundwriter Show here in March. And, you know, we always like to wind up with a tip of the month. And I think we've got some good ones. I'm going to go to you, Tom. 
What do you got for our listeners this, uh, at the end of this March show? Well, we were talking with Mark and Dana earlier about things to check in the spring. Right. And we were talking about people who, you know, they got some older bikes and they don't ride them that much and then they're going to bring them out. And, and uh, it was Dana who said, uh, you know, make sure you put some air in those tires. Yep. And it got me thinking, and I wasn't going to stop on the guys when, when they said it. So, uh, But I wanted to throw it in here. Check the date code mm. on those tires. Yeah. If those tires are like five years old, they are hard and crusty and won't give you too much traction. Right. And it may be time to put some new tires on there. Even if you got good tread, you're going to have a, a, a rough ride if you like to uh, wick it up when you're out there. That's definitely true. And look for some of those cracks and that kind of thing. Nice to do a good, thorough visual inspection of your tires. Absolutely. Yeah, because if they're old, you're right. Cracks. Right. And, and I've had tires that weren't that old that had cracks in them. That's true. Yep, so always good to check those out, especially at the beginning of the riding season. Now, for me, talking about cracks, mine is a little bit of a more, uh, I guess, uh, practical tip just in general. And that is what I noticed. I actually do a lot of riding downtown, and I was thinking as I was riding through a parking structure, don't stand up on your bike in a parking structure. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's some very low ceilings. I ride a pretty high dual sport. And it occurred to me that I think in a lot of these areas, my head probably sitting down is only clearing by about a foot or so. Yeah. And if you pop up on that bike while you're coming up a ramp, you might just crack your skull. Ow. Yeah. So that's kind of something just to keep in mind. If you haven't ridden in a while and you're going to go back downtown. Should should I make you wear a helmet so that doesn't happen? I do always wear my helmet. But (laughs) even still, being removed from the bike, even if it's at 15 miles an hour, via a concrete pillar, I think uh, I'll try to avoid that. So keep an eye out for those things, the practical stuff here on the Sound Rider Show. All right, folks, spring is almost here. Happy spring. Enjoy the warmer weather coming up, and we will see you back here next month on the Sound Rider Show. But before we go, I just want to make sure, don't ride like my mother. And don't ride like my mother. April, we'll see you in a month. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of mixed media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.